0: Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at Hallel.info, that's halle We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. This is the Yom HaShevi'i, Shel Pesach, or the seventh day of Passover. The memorial of what has happened in the past, the end of Israel's hasty departure out of Mitzrayim, or Egypt, and also a memorial that continues to walk with us at the end of our former way of life. Again, here with our first reading, Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 17 and going through the end of chapter 15. Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 17. When we look at this particular passage, you see, you you could say some really key themes that we have in here, that matzah, which we've been eating now, coming here in our seventh day of matzah, the seventh day of lots of matzah, and started and kicked off with pesach and so we have this connection between matzah and pesach and the leaving from mitzrayim or the leaving from egypt under duress and that's where one of the accounts for what matzah is all about but then you also have this crossing of the Amsuf or the sea the red sea and it being connected with freedom because There was the army of Mitzrayim on one side, and no army. (laughs) A much depleted army on the other side of the sea. And the difference was the one who opened the sea. And the one who convinced the enemy to follow into the sea to the enemy's
1: own destruction. Should make you think of something of Revelation it was wondered why that weird thing of why would why would the powers attack the city
0: it seems like a ridiculous effort the king of heaven and earth
1: is now here, the creator of heaven and earth is now here why would you attack his stronghold you see the similar thing with Egypt going in even in the midst of
0: struggling, their wheels, they're swerving. They're still moving forward,
1: because you see again and again throughout history. What then is the alternative? When you do you fall back or do you push forward harder? Where have you seen
0: the forces of oppression over time? Do they? Hmm? <laughs> yeah, they attack and they don't want to lose hold because what happens what happens to
1: the schoolyard bully if they lose the fear of people of them they lose their power they lose their power and we see here the the
0: systematic dismantling of the power of the adversary once and for all that's recorded in the book of revelation the day of the lord is all about dismantling the power of the adversary over all of the earth and thus you see that as we've gone through the pesach story during passover we recount the plagues and you know <laughs> one of the things of dying is like wouldn't it have been enough if you did this wouldn't it have been enough if you did that any one of those plagues should have been enough. Should have been a sign to go, okay, maybe I should give up. But what was the continued message again and again? That the Lord was strengthening, strengthening Pharaoh, strengthening Pharaoh into position he wanted to go in, to just push forward, push forward, push forward. So we see in this case that you have a force that's pushing forward, pushing forward, pushing forward in the world today. You know, to say that you know one of the, one of the things that you saw. What was the the cry of the people of Israel as they had their backs to the sea?
1: What were they afraid to lose? Their lives. The lives of their children, which meant their future. So, we saw earlier
0: with the account of Exodus at the beginning what was one of the key things that Egypt was doing to go after Israel? The lives of the children, throw them into the Nile, throw them into the Nile. So, we could say here today that it is no coincidence. That the forces of the adversary are after the children again, after the children with
1: express commitment that they want to get the children. You know, it's there's a lot of talking
0: about grooming today, and people think grooming is only about one specific sort of thing. Grooming just means. In the particular sense, it is to influence someone to change their view, to change their direction to where they're going. For example, you groom somebody for an office. You groom somebody for a job. You prepare them for where they're going because they are very impressionable. So one of the things that has been going on, not only in this country but all over the world, is the grooming of the next generation to do one specific thing. They may use lots of different tactics and take them in lots of different directions, but all those directions are away from whom? The creator of heaven and earth. And who is the image of the creator of heaven and earth on earth? Their parents. So thus, you see, one of the great, greatest commandments in the Ten Commandments is to do What? to honor your father and your mother. And you see that you have that lined up with one of the first commandments in the Ten Commandments, which is, remember who was the one who took you out of the land of bondage into freedom. So we may think back on our parents and think that they were doing nothing but taking us into the land of bondage and and putting us under nothing but slavery, but... In essence, it is what you see in the Psalms about there being like arrows in your quiver.
1: And what do you do with arrows? You launch them. Toward what? Just willy-nilly? No, you have an intent, a target. A better future? You
0: send them off toward a target. So thus you could see just like this, we're reliving again and remembering the memorial of the launching of the people of Israel from the house of bondage to somewhere, to somewhere specific, to Sinai. Yes. Um, this topic, I had to come, talk this specific topic of discussion. I was talking to my
2: dad about uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, about this exact thing. It, it, the house of bondage in Egypt was created, house of bondage in a very particular way unique way the way which joseph did it is that so the the egyptians be- well, obviously they were egyptians right they were citizens of the territory but they 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 became obviously from independent functioning you know peoples people groups independent households independent families into okay you became essentially the employee of pharaoh as well as the the house that you live in is granted to you by pharaoh and you because because the desire of, well, take care of my kids, take care of my family, give us food to eat, give us a house to stay, it became dependent upon the king to give all those things to you. And the, once you got all those things, you, as he pointed out, it is human instinct to become dependent upon it and almost obligatory to the individual who granted them all to you. And so, and hence they became subservient or, or slaves to the king, of, the king of Egypt. Because they felt a sense of, Obligation. Well, he gave us food. He gave us a home to survive in. He gave us a, Clearly, we owe this to him to, to work for him. It's, it's the nature of human instinct to to indenture yourself to someone who granted you so many things. And if, you, if, if, if a government of any type, whether it be a household, a city, community, state, whatever, if, if you can make the individuals dependent, to, oh, well, thank you for granting this thing to me, well, they be, will become... Obligated to become indentured to that source, that source then, without enslaving them with whips and and bows and arrows and swords, they enslave them by their own instinct, their own natural human instinct to give show 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 subservience or show allegiance to someone who gave them so much,
1: mm.
0: and that's where you you get the. Um It's come down and become a proverb here today about throwing bread into the stands. That was a tactic that the Roman emperors would use and various other people have used similar tactics in times past that to placate the people, even in the midst of their subjugation, bringing them under one form of slavery or another is you give them stuff. You give them stuff. So they're making that calculation. Oh, Oh, Maybe, you know, life isn't so bad because I'm getting this. Maybe moving in this direction is at least a less bad way to go. If I move away from this, I'm going to give up that stuff, the free stuff that I'm being given. And, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, you'll note about the the taskmasters over in Egypt. There's the traditions that follow, and historically it has been this way, that there's a good likelihood that those taskmasters were fellow Hebrews. That is usually how that goes. One of the ways you subjugate the population is to give benefits to folk to say, okay, you're subjugated, but we will make your life a little bit easier. They'll have more perks. All you have to do is be the supervisorial position. Be, be a supervisor, and there's often two rationalizations that go along with it. Number one, the rationalization is, well, I don't want to be in so much misery. If I go this route, I will have less misery. Number two, and this is you know coming from the, the, the good heart part of the person. Number two is, I can make this easier on the people under me i don't want their life to be so hard it would be better under me than under a foreigner who has no care for the people but the problem is, is as history shows how that calculation goes and we see it in the account with the bricks the, the quota goes up it gets more difficult you have to meet the quota So now, suddenly, this calculation of making life better, it's been made worse. So you then are feeling, I am going to lose my position unless I turn the screws to the people who are under me to make them perform, and that is historically how that has gone. So in a society where you have the folk that are providing, you know, benefits providing a and the benefits can be also go along with this or your life will be difficult that is not it goes along with the free stuff category you can get get the free bonus gifts but you can also get the less pain gift yes
2: in addition to that that would also bring up that, this, that philosophy of almost like a self-delusion, I can make these people's lives better if I'm in charge of them, because I'm, I'm, I'm a benevolent person. Yeah. I'm a kind person, right? Yeah. But even if that's the case in, in, initially or intentionally to start with, even if it was the case for you, you in particular, but then eventually someone else comes in your place. Eventually you get old, you can't do this anymore, somebody else takes it, and it, the next person has no such inclinations because they, they saw... Well, life is hard. I don't want my life to be hard. I want your position instead. So I'll make it to where I get yours. And then, how do you do that? You tell your boss, I can do a better job. I can get more production out of them. I can push them harder. And boss says, oh, you can? Well, that's great. Swap. Then the guy, now he's obligated to push harder. Even if you had this initial self-delusion I can make their lives better, reality, it doesn't last, even if you could do it for a short period of time it's so short, it doesn't last, doesn't do anything, it's not successful over a long time anyway.
0: Yes, and the sad thing that we see in, the, in Scripture as well as in history, is that next person that comes along, it may be us. That may be the person we become in the process. Yes. Tammy?
3: Yes, C.S. Lewis had a really interesting quote about this. So I've seen this floating around lately, so I had to kind of save it. It says, of all tyrannies, A tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under the omnipotent moral busybody. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep, but his cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own will will torment us without end, for they do it with the approval of their own conscience.
1: Yes. Indeed. Sadly, sadly true. So what we see with this
0: this, um, remembrance, you might say one of the parts of Pesach is to remember that we were slaves in Egypt. Remember that we ourselves were slaves in Egypt. But another part is to remember what slavery actually is and how we can quickly get ensnared into it into that slavery. What Paul talks about being dragged away and enticed is a way that we can fall into that slavery. And that's why this time of year is always a good time to remember, as the Apostle Paul puts it, to remember about what we need to pull out of our lives, to leave behind, to get out quickly, malice and wickedness. And what we need to move toward is the sincerity, the transparency, the you know, being real, being genuine, not a, an actor, or upocrate and, and hypocrite, not an actor, but being genuine and working toward the things that are true and following the things that are true versus the things that are lies. So that is one of the The key things as we move forward and as we're coming out here to the end of this week, uh, this week of unleavened bread, these seven days reaching the completion of the, the sucking out of the things that are leavened, the draining out of the things that are leavened from our lives and moving out forward toward the direction that the Lord is launching us, so to speak, launching us from the house of bondage toward the mountain of freedom and the land of freedom beyond that. So any last thoughts as we close out this particular section? Yes, Larry.
4: For saying all that, I kept thinking of this guaranteed income that, that they're talking about. Yes. It's just another trap to get you so that you're dependent upon them. Give you your
0: money and you don't have to try any harder to do any better. Yes. And that has been a, you might say that's a, a big trap that comes along throughout history is when you live, what was that? It, what they did for the pyramids, they gave them all <laughs> their, their
4: full rations and their, all their meals and place to stay. And yes. all, they, all they had to do was carry big rocks up the steep slope.
0: Yes. And that's, that, that is interesting because as they've been doing more archaeological work in there, you'll have people that will say, well, um, it doesn't look like there was a slave colony here. It just looks like there was a lot of workers here that were getting paid. And you see the records that they've dug up of Egyptians with their uh, tally of, as you mentioned, rations, uh, what they've been allocated. But where is it? That they were staying versus where is it that they were going. So remember, this was more about breaking a superpower than just about deliverance. In the process, there was a deliverance out of Mitzrayim, but in the process, it was about breaking. As he mentions throughout the plagues, this was about breaking the gods of Mitzrayim. Yes.
1: Antiochus did the same thing. He threw coins at all the people to make them like him and everything, even though he's
0: taking away all their freedoms and killing them all. Yes. So again, what is your calculus? Do I go with the, the coin thrower? Or do I go with the guy who says, if you don't take my coins, I'm going to kill you, in so many words. Because if you go the opposite direction, that's where life gets a lot harder. Life gets a lot more difficult you have
1: a whole society that bears down upon you because you're going in a completely different direction. Give me liberty. Yes. Give me liberty or give me death. Well, when you see that
0: that's uh, the founder is saying that we pledge our, our fortunes and our sacred honor upon this, you know, what are you willing to give up to, to go in a different direction? I mean, we've seen this in the past couple of years. There are people who have had to walk away from their jobs. You know, they've had a whole bunch of things come down. You know, they've had their medical licenses pulled from them. All kinds of things have come down upon people's heads to go in a different direction. So it's like when you look at what you have, what are you willing to lose? What are you willing to walk away from. Thus, you can see what those parables that Yeshua was telling about, about making sure that you count the cost as you're building this tower, building the
1: tower of your life. Make sure that you're counting the cost as you go. So any last thoughts as we, um, before we move on to the next section? Yes, Anne. It is interesting
5: how, in verse 25, that Egyptians themselves said, "Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against." <laughs> I don't know if they called themselves the Egyptians or against us. Who would think that they would have said? But maybe they were giving up their own nationality and saying, "We want to go with the. We want to go with. We want to go with them." You know. I mean, the, there were people who actually believed um, when Passover was happening, in Egyptian homes that put that put the blood above their mantle or above their lintel or whatever, and or maybe ask people to, can we stay with you tonight? I mean, we don't, I think there's a passage that says that, that there were some Egyptians that followed. It talked
0: about like the, the mixed multitude right. uh, that, that left out. So again, you see that uh, throughout Israel's history, that you have those that say, um, we trust your God, over ours. We see that later on when we get to Jericho. And we see that uh, Rahab makes the same calculation. You know, we've heard, and when she references specifically what we just read about, the going through the sea, that the God of Israel took out the Baals, Baal Tzaphon and others. Because we've in previous times talked about that there was a Particular um, tradition, a legend of the time period about the Baals battling with the great monster of the sea and how it was really a pitched battle and how differently you see the account of the crossing of the Red Sea is. The sea is just blasted away. It has, it's not fighting back. It cannot fight back. So, thus, if you are um, a Soldier in the Egyptian army. You're a soldier in the Egyptian army, and one of your deities is related to the Nile. Well, you've just seen what happened to the Nile, and you can be in denial or you can be in reality and see, well, something has a lot more power over the deities of the Nile and the deities of Egypt. The deities of Egypt were broken and left powerless even up to even up to the big house even up to pharaoh the big house of egypt the king of egypt was left powerless
1: against this god of the hebrews that were just in their midst so as we go into our next section here this will be will
0: serve as our haftar reading for today Not the typical one for this uh, Yom HaShiv'i, but it is certainly appropriate. We sang about that earlier today. As we start out here, a blessing. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the Universe, who chose good prophets and was pleased with their words, which they spoke in truth. Blessed are you, Lord, who chose the Torah, Moshe His servant, Israel's people, and the prophets and apostles of truth and righteousness. Amen.
1: So the passage we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do
0: not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moshe in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Mashiach. Nevertheless, most of them, with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorality, immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but, uh, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, free from idolatry, I
1: speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Amen. And the next passage we're going to look at before we uh, come back and, and take a look at this further
0: is... In John chapter 19, starting verse 38, we hit on this uh, mostly back on the start of first fruits, the wave offering. After these things, Yosef of Arimathea, being a disciple of Yeshua, but a secret one for fear of the Yehudim, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Yeshua. The Pilate granted, and, and Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, also a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Yeshua and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices as is the burial custom of the Yehudim. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had been lain. Therefore, because of the Yehudim day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Yeshua there. Moving on to verse 20, our chapter 20. Now, the first day of the week, Miriam of Magdala came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Shimon Peter and to the other disciple whom Yeshua loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. So Shimon Peter came and following him and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had come first to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and believed. Yet, for as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again for the dead. So the students went away again to their own homes. But Miriam was standing outside the tomb, weeping. And so, as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Yeshua had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Yeshua standing there. Did not know it was Yeshua. Yeshua said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Yeshua said to her, Miriam. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Yeshua said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brother and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father, my God and your God. Miriam and Magdala came, announcing to the students, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So it was evening on that day, and the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the, where the students were for fear of the Yehudim, Yeshua came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. students then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Yeshua said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Tomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Yeshua came. So the other students were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. He said to them, Unless I see his hands, the imprints of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his students were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Yeshua came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Tomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Tomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Yeshua said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they do, did not see and yet believed. All right. Close things out here with a blessing on the reading and then continue on with our conversation. Blessed are you, our Lord God, King of the universe, rock of the worlds, righteous in all the generations, the almighty, the faithful one who says and does, who speaks and fulfills for all his words are true and Right. Dependable are you, Lord, our God, and dependable are your words, and not one of your words is ever retracted unfulfilled. For you are the Almighty, a King who is dependable and merciful. Blessed are you, Lord, the Almighty who is dependable, in all his words have compassion on Sion, for it is the home of our life, and the one whose soul is humiliated delivers speedily in our days blessed are you lord who causes tion to rejoice with her children cause us to rejoice adonai our god with Eliahu the prophet your servant and with the kingdom of the house of david your anointed speedily may he come and cause our heart to re- exult upon his throne no stranger will sit and others will no longer inherit his honor For by your holy name you swore to him that his light will never be extinguished. Blessed are you, Lord, Shield of David, for the Torah, for the divine service, for the prophets and apostles, and for this day of Matzot, which you gave us, Lord our God, for holiness and for rest, for honor and for glory. For all this, Lord our God, we thank you and bless you. Blessed be your name by the mouth of all the living continually forever. Blessed are you, Lord, sanctifier of the Shabbat. Amen. So, going back to the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, some of what you see there is, again, this recounting that Israel was baptized or washed in the cloud. And in the sea, not just in the sea, but in the cloud. So what do you find curious about that? We can understand the sea with the picture. You're actually going down into water, okay? And then going out the other side, kind of like you think of the the stereotypical, whether you're going to a river and going in down and coming back out again, or going to the stereotypical baptismal and you're going down or going to a mikvah, you go down and you come back up. Okay, you get that picture of the sea, but the
1: cloud? Yes, Anne, we have a comment over here.
5: The cloud, I think of Mount Sinai, and when, when uh, the Lord told the people you have to stay at the foot of the mountain because otherwise you will, you will die if you come up on top of the mountain. And, and the mountain was blackened, and a, well, I, I call it a black cloud of some terrible black cloud. Mm. And um, the people could hear the Lord, but they couldn't. They could. They could see the blackness, and so they were baptized into it. In the, the baptism of the the law, say, you know. I mean, it was that Mount Sinai. So it was the giving of the law and the covenant. Mm.
1: Okay, so that,
5: that was one thing.
1: Okay, so at the at the at the mountain, you have
0: the um, the cloud around the mountain. Yes, Larry. Is that, uh, I'm thinking of, that you have to be born again of the water and the spirit. Mm. The cloud sounds like the spirit. So you have that that picture of being born again, and the discussion there with Nicodemus there in John
1: chapter 3 about, you know, death, born again, and then life after death. So, what, uh, yes, Daniel uh, has a comment or a question.
2: Um, not say this is correct. It's just what i viewing it. Uh, what Anne had pointed out there is that it's interesting that in when the cloud passed over the, for the Egyptians, right, to divide them between Egyptians themselves, the people were not afraid of the cloud at that time. Mm. <laughs> but after they went through the Red Sea and they saw the cloud on the mountain, they were petrified of it. It's interesting that the, the, the behavior and the mental state of the people, the spiritual state of them, changed from what of "Yay, the cloud saves us" to "Oh no, run away from it. It's scary." It's, they didn't come to that conclusion of being scary until the time of, here's all your instructions on how to live. This is what is good, and that's what's bad. This is what is good, that's what's bad. At that point, they realized, oh, that cloud is scary. When it came to the Egyptians, they didn't have that mentality. That 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 inner that inner feeling, inner belief, inner spiritual uh, separation. The, the cloud did. They, they, the cloud physically separated them from Egypt. It's when they were when Egyptians, physically separated there. And they thought that was a good thing. That was a blessing. Yea, the cloud divided us between for, for what is harmful to us and what is safe to us. When Later on, the cloud does the same thing. I'm going to divide you from what is harmful behavior from what is safe behavior. And the cloud all of a sudden became scary, it became a fearful thing, as opposed to a yay, save us thing. It was, a, oh no, what's the cloud doing next? It's quite interesting how the people could. could you, 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 it's a physical representation of a spiritual point in that the people with Egyptians, they could see the cloud was helping them out. It was obvious, it was very physical and, and understandable. When it came to the mountain cloud, at that point, after they've gone through the Red Sea, they've gone through this process over you know, three months' time, the change from, I have to actually divide not just Egyptians from me, but I have to divide me from me. And it became a scarier, harder thing. That's not a a foreign concept. The idea of living a righteous life or living—I okay, have to divide myself in two: that which is harmful to me versus that which is not harmful to me. And it, it becomes a difficult thing with inside ourselves as, human, as, hum, as humans do. That that cloud baptizing process, independent of the water thing. That's a, that's a that's a obvious as you pointed out. The cloud battle is, is the distinguishing between what is harmful to me versus what is beneficial to me. I had to divide them and divide those parts, which is harder to do.
0: Mm. And as, as you mentioned there, at the, at the mountain, that really came into focus, that there was actually one who was shrouded in the cloud, and they actually got to meet and hear from the one who is shrouded in the cloud there at the mountain. And thus, it's like to realize that your old way of life, the way that leads to representations of the golden calf, it's like, okay, this is not the way you represent the creator of heaven and earth. You may have learned that this is how you do it in Egypt, but in this realm of truth We're actually connected to the Creator. That's not how you worship and how you relate to the Creator of heaven and earth. This is not just the way that you learned back in Egypt. That part of relating to the divine has to be left behind. That old way of life of you has to die. It has to go away. So, thus you can see that with this, it talks about the baptism in the sea, and then with the, with the manna, the bread from heaven, words of God, the bread of life, the daily bread, and then talks about the rock that followed them around, rock that, from which came life, being the source of life, the ma'adzor, the
1: rock of ages, that that rock of dependability, that that one you could depend on in the desert,
0: that this was going to be the true way to go, the way that you truly build your life on, not on something that's going to shift and be not dependable. And also about water from the rock. So we saw as this chapter 15 of Exodus left off, was at Mara, where you had the water incident. Now, you encounter some water later. This was a going to a spring that at first seemed like you know, it was undrinkable. But then the Lord provided, said, Hey, this tree, get it, throw it in. So what is it that actually made the water drinkable? Was it throwing a tree in? No. It was the one who provides water that's fit to drink. Even in a place where you think that there is no water, there is nothing that is available to drink. The one who is taking you along is going to be providing you with what is truly drinkable, what is truly sustainable. And that you see that (laughs) the side of the cloud the parted sea the manna the rock that that is the realm of life that is your new reality your new life the golden calf way of life that is the old way of life the old way of life of the pagan world of egypt and canaan and all the other surrounding countries of you know you pull the handle on the celestial slot machine and hope that it's going to hit a jackpot for you. And then, you know, out come all the blessings. But that is not how the kingdom of heaven works. You actually meet the one at the mountain. You actually get a testimony of who the one at the mountain actually is. Who the one in the cloud is. You know, you, you see in ancient literature that there is appeals to deities. But... In ancient literature, the, the return message is not so pleasant. It is not the personal having a great conversation with the divine. So that kind of brings us to, you know, it just happens to be today where everyone... Oh, Larry, yes, you had a comment before we move on further?
4: Um, fairly recently, which I've forgotten, unfortunately, about... Um this thing about that he will not allow to be tempted beyond your ability to withstand it. And it really doesn't really doesn't mean that. It means that we have to lean on him to be able to withstand temptation. We don't just get a magic thing with,
0: well, if I can't handle it, it won't happen to me, so I don't need to worry about anything right. anymore. I can't well, remember the whole
4: the whole thing. Right. Well,
0: that comes straight out of Exodus where it talks about, you know, cleave unto the Lord and to cling onto cling. the Lord. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's just straight out of the Torah, which, which is why this passage is together. It is not just some sort of um, disjointed thought that Paul just kind of thrown there. Oh, yeah, this is connected directly to saying here this is the lesson from the Exodus and from the wandering and the, the path from Mitzrayim, from the house of slavery to the land of freedom. In between there is the Lesson. That's why it kept going on there about being tested and what you depend upon. And why it also talks about to flee from idolatry, because idolatry was mixed up in this. So basically, you're headed to the land. Idolatry is a diversion. That's sending you right back to the land that you came from, the house of bondage, yet again. That's not something that you can just bolt onto your life and take that along with you. That is a part of the old way of life that has to be left behind as you go toward the kingdom of heaven. Which gets us to what everybody is focusing on. It just happens to be that we're uh, April 22nd, we're we're, uh, having this particular day on this particular day. But the rest of the world focused on Earth Day, which is all about protecting the earth. And if you dig deeper, a lot there about talking about a... The world as a deity in and of itself. So you must care for the deity. You must respect the deity. Now, when you see the subset of this and throughout the history of the people of God, protection of the things that God has created, that's just a given. That's just a respect part. That's a respect. You know, if you, if you, Respect and you love somebody, if they entrust you with something, what are you going to do? Trash it? No, you take care of it. Which is kind of like what you see with when you have a rental property or one that you own. If you are one who has been taught about respecting others like you would want to respect them, if you rent something, are you going to trash it? No, you're not going to trash it. If you rent the car, Are you going to trash it? No. You treat it with respect because you would want the next person to treat it with respect so that when you get it, it would be taken care of. So you have a house. You don't trash it just because, "Eh, I don't own it. Somebody else is going to deal with this. No. You respect it because somebody else is going to have to come along with it. So thus... You know, we, as we get from the beginning of creation there at the early chapters of Genesis, that this was given to, to mankind, to our, the first man that to keep the garden and then by extension, everything else on the planet. So that is just a given because, you know, we didn't just, you know, happen to come from pond scum and move along and progress upward. No. I am absolutely positive, and that's why the corollary to Earth Day is really, you know, the real Earth Day, which is, you could say, the Lord's Day, the day of the Lord, the real Lord's Day, meaning the Shabbat, and the passage we have from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 10. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, six days you shall labor and do all your work, for the Seventh day is a Sabbath day of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your daughter or your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And as we've been going through by Ikra, Le- Leviticus, we've seen a lot about what the holiness part is—to set it aside as being special. So, thus you can say, well, another instruction that we had from uh, the Apostle Paul, going earlier and talking about this emphasis that we see here today, as the globe, the planet, as a deity, and to respect it and to care for it, to have basically offerings that you give to it of solar panels or windmills or various other things that you think that are just going to heal the planet. There is the care that you have for the planet, but for things that are truly care for the planet and not for some sort of genuflection that you do, to a deity of the earth because we see that there is is a particular warning the apostle paul puts forward in romans chapter 1 starting verse 18 for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about god is evident within them for god has made it evident to them for since the creation of the world His invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So, we see that, yes, this is the natural progression of things that go through time. The, as Paul talks about it in um, another one of his letters, about people groping around in the darkness, looking for the truth. And what have you seen throughout the world and throughout history of what happens when people are groping around in the dark and do not know about who the creator of the heaven and earth is? This is often what happens. They follow after the things that are made. And we saw the account of the Exodus with the plagues, the deities of Egypt based upon various things various animals, various creatures, etc. And even today, you see that deities based upon creatures, or you have more respect for creatures than for people, and you have more respect for baby creatures than for baby people. This is the projection of what happens when
1: you move from the belief in God to the belief in whatever as the where where you actually come from. You both they're blind and you both fall into the pit. The blind leading the blind and you both fall into the pit. Yes, the big could be the big pit. Yes, the
0: the pit as in the the grave. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to put that. So one of the the things that then we we look back to our other passage that we were looking at, and we see with Thomas. And Thomas, as it mentions, you know, eight days after that. So you get kind of roughly the same kind of time frame from Pesach of what we have here today. And just like you saw, you know, at least maybe 1,500 years earlier, where you have the time of the exodus and the time of the crossing of the sea where you had the people were told stand back and see the salvation of the Lord you know you had this demonstration of great power right in front of them and they're like hey don't st- don't sit there trembling go forward moshe tell the people to go forward So fast forward here to this particular time period that
1: here the students of Yeshua you know were there in fear because of the people who were after them and
0: kind of just reeling from this experience that they've had with the risen Mashiach and you have Thomas saying you know I must touch, I must see, to actually trust that this is true. Because if you think about what, what their heart that they've put out forward to this, to this movement, and even if it, as it said earlier in the passage we we're looking at, you know, they didn't truly understand that the Mashiach would die and then would rise afterward. So they're still coming around to this idea. Thomas wanted this tangible demonstration that this was indeed happening. So then when he gets the tangible, when Yeshua specifically comes in and says, look, hey, touch, feel, this is me. I really did rise. This is truly what the works of heaven were all about. And you see Yeshua said, well,
1: blessed are those who do not see and yet trust. Yes, Larry. Yes, it's a beautiful thing for us because we haven't seen the sea or Yeshua
0: in person. Yet we are trusting upon the words that Moshe brought to us and the words that these apostles have brought to us. About these things that have that have happened now as we see that you know we can look back to (laughs) what you see the world is trusting in with the earth day thing hey well the tree i can touch the tree i can go hug the tree i can just have a
1: jolly good time dancing around the tree i can see the tree smell it but your sky god What is all that about? I can't see that. This or that or the other. But you see that you're even
0: having those that do know about things and have looked into the things related to trees and people and sky and all kinds of other things. Even they are coming around to say, hey, you know, just like what you see Paul talking about here, that... (laughs) The eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. So people, even who may not believe outright, are just saying, you know, there's more going on here than just this simple story that we're told about scum that just happened to self-organize into itself. And as we get into the computer age and the software age and stuff like that, that looks more like what's going on under the hood of the tree outside, in this story about some, th- something, uh, some mythical creature, the earth god sprouting something out and coming into trees and flowers and stuff like that. The account of the sky god makes a lot more sense of what we know about in the real world
1: than the simplistic thing of going out and hugging a tree. So, yes, Larry? I keep thinking of that. There's something in our
4: constitution. I think it's about inalienable rights, <laughs> by given by nature and by nature's God, which is a lot better way than saying it just like Earth Day. You say giving Him the actual authority to that being
0: the God of nature. Yes, yes, and that's that's where you have a where you get to a deeper understanding and a deeper respect or the world around you is even in the ancient Greeks, when they were groping around the dark and some of them came around to the idea of the prime mover, that there had to be something to kick something off. Now that kind of gets into the, the ideas of self-organization and such, but at least that groping around the dark, they sort of bumped into something that was at least closer to what reality actually is. Then the idea of what you have with Kronos and the various mythical gods kind of popping out, uh, turtles upon turtles popping up and uh, then creating things, the world on the back of a turtle, etc. Yes?
3: Uh, I remember uh, as a child in uh, grammar school uh, having a a maypole dance, like May Day, May 1st. They did the maypole dance uh, with ropes around a thing and we'd weave in and out of each other until it totally engulfed the pole. So uh, I, I never knew what that was about, but it was fun. To, you know, we got out of class. And yeah, that goes
0: way, way, way back.
3: And we were out in the schoolyard. It was fun. But what's the difference between May Day and Earth Day? I mean, what do we, uh, we're, I see, uh, I understand Earth Day, we're worshiping the earth and, and you know, got to take care of it and clean it up. And that's, that's all good. I understand we should uh, worship the creator, not the creation. Uh, but what, what's the difference between May Day and Earth Day?
0: Well, May Day has its more modern iterations of it. Um, but you know the, the ideas of spring go way, way, way back to the various ideas of the, um, the equinoxes and the solstices. And those being the ebb and flow of nature. And again, back to the ideas of the forces of nature being the things that you worship, just like the Apostle Paul's saying right here in Romans chapter one, where people uh, are detached from the idea that there is one creator of everything and everything flows out of the creator. You just see these forces and you get awed by the forces and think the forces are things in and of themselves. People say like, you know the universe did this and the universe did that. Just the, things just spring up out of the universe because the universe conceived of it. Well, things just don't self-organize like that in the way that we've actually come to understand how things actually work. There is a thing that flows from a giver to a receiver with language, with with things, ideas that go from sender to receiver, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There is the cause,
1: and there is the effect. That is what we have seen. Yes, I remember it kind of starting Birthday. in the sixties or seventies, and it really was
2: a call to stop polluting. Yes, and so it seemed like it was stop polluting. Right. It had the Indian crying, looking at
4: Correct. masses of
2: trash. So I've always seen it as just um, something to be more mindful of nature, not necessarily any competition to creation. Um, May Day, I thought, had origins in a worker's
3: day off.
0: And actually, what we're talking about with the Earth Day and May Day um, have similar origins. And the May Day specifically is related to the... World uh, workers uniting, and I yeah that's more modern,
2: and in Russia,
0: yes, when that's being around the the realm of Marxism related to socialism related to communism and that idea coming forward because when you look into the uh, ideals of the Soviet movement into the Soviet Constitution, environmentalism was a very big aspect of that. But what you see is a very interesting thing. You remove God from the picture and they can talk about environmentalism all day long, but then you have Chernobyl and then you've got Lake Bacal, which is a waste dump, you know, the largest freshwater lake in the entire world, and they turned it into a toxic waste dump. So great talk, but if you take your morality out of it and your respect for the one who created everything, all it is is talk. You Non-hebraic. know, as yeah, as as the Apostle Jakos says, you know, great, you can talk all your faith all day long, but what do you actually do? That really shows what you actually believe.
2: John reminded me of the commercial that was popular, um, Joe Azuzu. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's lying.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, so that's that's kind of one thing where you have to go through life almost with that subtitle under things: he's lying. Uh, Where you have to listen to things and go, okay, well, you filter things through that. And that's where we get with our discussion earlier about grooming, whether you're grooming for one ideal or another, is that there is this approach and attack upon the youngest among us, because you get the minds young when, frankly, we don't know any better and then you change them, turn them against their parents, saying their parents don't know anything, don't trust your parents, then you've got them. Because that whole thing of the filter, filtering things through, you know, as um, Paul, Apostle Paul puts it, you know, take your thoughts captive and bring them into subjugation to the law of Mashiach. Well, if you have no law, no m- teachings of Mashiach in there already, what do you have to bounce it off against? There's no way you can take your thoughts captive, because what are you going to bring them
1: subjugation to? Because you've been taught to disrespect most authority, especially your parents. Well, as we come now into the last part,
0: what we have to look forward to is Shavuot. So Shavuot is coming up here. So Pray that just like it mentions here in Luke chapter two, uh, chapter ten, verse two, that beseech the Lord of the Harvest to send out the laborers into His harvest. Hallelujah! Because why? Yeshua is the first fruits of the resurrection. Hallelujah to that! All right. Well, we'll close out things with prayer. Father God, we thank you and praise you for giving us, for giving us the words of of your servants through such a long period of time. And Father, we just ask that you make us to shine brightly in the world around us, that we can be your lights in this world that's growing darker by the
1: day. Father, we just ask that you guard, guard the hearts and minds of the youngest among us. and Father, protect them against the attacks of the adversary and those who
0: are wishing to turn them into something completely different. Father, we thank you for having mercy on us
1: and guide us in having as much mercy on others as you've given to us. Father, we look forward to the return of your kingdom in the name of your Son, Yeshua. Oh man
0: you've been listening to a discussion at Halel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at halel.info That's h-A-L-l-e-l.i nfo halel.info